Um, I have one more announcement. Uh, for the last few years, we've been holding a prayer vigil the weekend before um, Easter Sunday. And it's a really sweet time to come here and to come away from all your other activities and spend that time in a sweet hour of prayer. And I have the sign-up for to pass around, and I know if you're like me, you have to kind of coordinate with, at least with my husband, at the time we'd like to come. But it begins on Friday evening at 6 p.m. and ends at midnight, and then starts once again on Saturday morning at 6 and goes to 6 p.m. that evening. So I'm going to start this around, and it would be really great to um, know that you're all here praying. Um, prayer is such a powerful means of communication and worship and thanksgiving. And if you're like me, I know sometimes I think, why can't I pray for more than three minutes without my mind going somewhere else? So we will have a prayer guide, and I just, again, want to encourage you all to take part. Thank you. New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. I will read from verse 13 through the end of that chapter. John chapter 9, verse 13 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they, and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and asked him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has this been heard, that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin and would teach us and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, they, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. And those who do not see, may, that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. Lord, I pray that um, you would be with your servant as he proclaims your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. The exchange, the argument between the Pharisees and the parents and the blind man recorded for us in our reading this morning reminds me of too many arguments that I hear these days. The Pharisees are asking all of the questions, but they already know the answers that they want to hear. The parents see trouble looming, and so they duck and cover. They pass the buck so that they don't have to take a risky stand. And then there's the blind man, or the man who once was blind. He's the most interesting character in this story. The Pharisees are in his face asking him all kinds of questions. And he answers with the one simple fact he knows. I once was blind, but now I see. I guess you know already that the Pharisees have a beef with Jesus. The Pharisees have a view of the world, and Jesus just doesn't fit into this view. Again and again, the things that Jesus says, the thing that Jesus does, threaten to entirely explode their worldview. And so when the Pharisees hear about a man blind from birth who receives his sight from an encounter with Jesus, all they can say is, mm, that's, that's not possible. Or when they learn that he's done it on the Sabbath, the day when no work is to be done, they say, well, if he did it on the Sabbath, then surely he isn't a man of God. What Jesus says 
And what Jesus does threatens the Pharisees' worldview. And you may have noticed that people can be extraordinarily resistant. People can be extraordinarily resourceful when it comes to defending their worldviews. If you don't believe me, just try to get a Republican to say something good about a Democrat. Or try to get a Democrat to say something good about a Republican. Our views of the world, of how the world works, of what's up and what's down, of what's right and what's wrong, those views are deeply ingrained and they're woven together in a web of many, many individual beliefs that are not easily untangled. Now there are legitimate reasons why we believe what we believe. Those reasons have built up over time. Little by little we come to see the world a certain way. It doesn't happen all at once. So when something comes along that doesn't square with what we already believe, we can be very stubborn in resisting any change in our view of the world. I'm old enough to have been young in the 1960s, a time when cars made in Japan were junk and cars made in the United States were golden. When that situation flip-flopped in the 1970s, when the quality of American cars fell off a cliff and Japanese cars became the best in the world, there were plenty of old geezers who simply could not be convinced that a Toyota Corolla would outlast a Chevy Chevette. Here's the bottom line. When the data changes, our view of the world needs to change. No matter what theories we might have had, no matter what data we might have collected in the past, no matter what we once might have believed, when the data changes, our view of the world needs to change. If you meet a man who cures you of lifelong blindness, it just doesn't make sense to say, no, that's not possible. There are two parts to our faith. One part is what we've heard and read, and the other part is what we have experienced. One part is made up of scripture and creeds and theology. The other part is made up of our encounter with the living God. There is a theoretical or a theological component to our faith. That part we understand with our intellect and with our reason. And then there is a lived reality or an existential component to our faith. That part is the part that we know in our guts, in our hearts, in the depths of our innermost being. Two parts to our faith, theoretical and experiential or theological and existential. One part we learn by studying and theorizing and the other part we know by experience, by a personal encounter with God. Now I have to confess that I have a prejudice toward the first of these two parts. I enjoy studying the Bible and theology. Well, that's my bread and butter. It is my leisure reading. If you were to look on my nightstand, you would find a copy of C.S. Lewis's Christian Reflections. It's a collection of essays that Lewis published in various scholarly journals, a collection of lectures that he gave before various learned bodies. And I love this book. 
Theology is the discipline of making sense of things, coherent, systematic sense of what Scripture teaches. I studied philosophy and theology for four years in college, and I studied the theological edges of philosophy for what seemed like forever in graduate school. I love the beauty of systems and organization. I love to solve complicated theoretical problems. But let me tell you, for a lot of years, I used all of that theory to keep Jesus at arm's length. In case you don't know it, you can debate theology all day long without ever actually knowing God. When I was in college, I studied Greek with a visiting scholar from Oxford. Claire Wilding was her name. And we had this little game that we would play in the dining hall. We would debate some fine point of theology. How many parts does the human soul have? Or, you know, how does God's providence give room for the freedom of the will? And Claire would take Thomas Aquinas' point of view. And I would take John Calvin's. And we would argue for a while, and then we would switch sides. I would be Thomas Aquinas, and she would be John Calvin. It was just a game. It was like playing chess. There are two parts to our faith. One part is theoretical, and another part is experiential. One part is in the head, and another part is in the guts. The Pharisees are upset with Jesus because... What Jesus is saying doesn't square with their theory, with their theology. Jesus is preaching the Torah in a way that the other rabbis don't. The Pharisees are upset with Jesus because his behavior doesn't square with what they've been taught as proper and pious. He eats with the wrong kinds of people. He works on the Sabbath. He keeps company with women. He doesn't wash his hands at the right time. The Pharisees have a theological worldview. We all do. The Pharisees' theological worldview wasn't made up in just one day. It was a view held by many respectable people. It had a lot of history and momentum behind it. And changing a worldview, changing a deeply held theory about how things work is as hard as changing the direction of an ocean liner under a full head of steam. The theory says only a man of God can heal, but no man of God would work on the Sabbath. The theory says a man blind from birth can't be healed. We see the Pharisees' theory. Under a full head of steam, charging in a definite direction, and then unexpectedly lying directly ahead of them, directly in the path of their steaming ship of theory, there is Jesus. And Jesus heals a man blind from birth, and he does it on the Sabbath. Jesus, standing immovable, like the rock of Gibraltar, and the Pharisees' ship of theory running full speed ahead on a collision course with reality. And all the Pharisees can do is stare wide-eyed and say, You know, I always work from a manuscript. And I couldn't figure out how to spell. Faith has two parts. 
One part is the theory, the theology, and the other part is our lived experience, the data of our movement in this world. When the Pharisees grilled a man who was born blind about Jesus, asking him all kinds of questions, the man doesn't answer with theology. He answers with experience. I once was blind, but now I see. Too often our religious discussions are all about the theory and not about the experience. Everyone who has any kind of faith, mature faith, baby faith, confused faith, clear faith, mushy faith, hard faith, every person who has any kind of faith has both a theoretical component and an experiential component to their faith. But most of the time, we talk about and we argue about the theoretical side and we're shy about mentioning the experiential side. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge those of you who are concerned about sharing your faith with other people to spend more time talking about your experience of Jesus and less time about your theories of Jesus. The man who was born blind doesn't understand what's happened to him. He doesn't understand why his eyes are now working, but there is no denying the fact that towering reality as solid as the rock of Gibraltar that he once was blind, but now he sees. We read the first part of this story last week. And you might recall that Jesus and his disciples just happened upon this man, this blind beggar, while they're walking along minding their own business. This beggar hasn't come to Jesus looking for a favor. This blind beggar isn't expecting anything from these passers-by except maybe a few coins. But Jesus stops and He makes this blind man's experience a teaching point for his disciples and for us. Jesus teaches us that this man's blindness was not caused by sin, but was allowed by God so that the mighty works of God might be displayed in this man's life so that Jesus himself might heal him. And Jesus heals him unexpectedly without being asked. Some of you know that I am a reconverted Christian. I was raised in a Christian home but wandered away from my faith in my high school years and then completely buried my faith in college. I was convinced completely that the Bible is a man-made fraud. I knew for sure that faith was just a crutch for weak people. I was absolutely certain that there is no more a God than there is a Loch Ness monster. And then, unexpectedly, without my asking, I was reconverted in my late 20s. The lights began to go on for me. The Bible, which once seemed like a benighted collection of fairy tales, began to radiate the mind of God. The channel of prayer which long ago had fallen silent for me opened up again and once again I was talking with God. The governing hand of God which had disappeared from my world leaving me in a world of purposeless chance. That hand of God was again visible and I saw it everywhere guiding, 
directing, protecting, leading. How did that happen? I don't know. But one thing I do know, once I was blind, but now I see. Last week, we wrapped up our spring new members class and last Tuesday, Three of the ten people who took that class were able to attend the meeting of session. Prospective new members uh, meet with the session prior to joining the church. And the session wants to hear from these prospective new members their testimony. They want to hear from them the story of their encounter with God. Everyone's story is different Jesus meets each of us in his own, in our own way. And all of these stories are fascinating. All of these stories are beautiful. Stories of how God has met and encountered us individually in our particular situations, in our particular families, in our particular struggles and difficulties. The stories are all different, but the Savior is the same. The stories are all different, but the outcome is always the same. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was stumbling in darkness, but now I'm living in the light of day. What the blind man does with the Pharisees is what we call bearing witness. This man testifies to his experience with Jesus. The blind man doesn't theorize or theologize. He just tells them what's happened. He just gives them the facts. I once was blind... But now I see. The session doesn't ask prospective new members to recite a creed or to memorize certain doctrines. The session doesn't quiz prospective new members on fine points of theology. What they want to know is, have you met the resurrected Jesus? Is God real in your life or is he just some theory? There are two components to our faith. One side is the theological, theoretical part. We master that with our intellect and with our reason. Here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, we are a reasoning church. We talk about theology. We like theology. We want our people to be able to explain their faith and to know why they believe what they believe. But there's another side to our faith that cannot be neglected. That's the existential or the experiential side. That's where God has shown up in our daily lives and made things different, made us different. When we join this church, there is no quiz on Reformed theology. When we get to the pearly gates, St. Peter won't ask you to recite the Nicene Creed. We are heaven-bound Not because we know a lot of theology. We are heaven-bound because we know Jesus Christ and we cling to Him. We're heaven-bound because once we were blind, but now we see. I want to challenge you this week to spend some time thinking about the experiential, the existential side of your faith. I want you to spend some time thinking about where God is showing up in your life, where you see Him leading you, what you 
have seen Him accomplish in your life, which has brought you to the place that you are. I want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to pray to Jesus. I want you to hang out in His company this week. Now, if you're like me, you would rather spend time with the abstract theology. But for just this week, I want to encourage you to lay that aside and just gaze upon the face of the Savior. I want to challenge you to reflect upon the experiential side of your faith because I think that's the part that we need to talk about more often with other people who are not believers. I don't think many people followed Jesus because someone argued them into it with a lot of advanced theology. We follow Jesus because we meet him in our regular lives, unexpectedly, without being asked. I once was blind, but now I see. That is the basic Christian testimony. A miracle made of mud and not of words. I once was blind, but now I see. I pray that that is your experience and that that is your testimony. And I pray that for your blessing and for the glory of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do honor you and bless your name this day. And we thank you for the words of St. John, for recording these events for us in his gospel. Lord, I thank you for loving that blind man and finding him there on the side of the road and healing him and showing yourself to him, turning him around. I thank you for the ways in which you have shown up in our lives and turned the lights on for us and turned us around. Lord, I pray that you would keep us in the light and give us a desire for more light in our lives. Lord, for those of us who have yet to turn to you, I pray that you would be merciful and that you would continue to work upon their hearts, continue to call them to yourself. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in in their hearts and in their lives in ways that are mysterious to them. I pray that you would draw those who do not yet see to you so that they might see. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.